Nebuchadnezzar knew something of the God of the Jews. In chapter 2, he had a dream, and he forgot the dream, and nobody could tell him what the dream was and therefore what it meant. But Daniel, who worshipped the God of creation, the God of the Jews, the God of eternity, Daniel said, wait a minute, uh, none of the wise men or the counselors could tell you what your dream was, but there is a God in heaven that reveals secrets. And Daniel prayed, and God gave him the dream, and Nebuchadnezzar was impressed. But there was one person Nebuchadnezzar esteemed more highly than the God of the Jews, and that was himself. Nebuchadnezzar's armies are back from a successful conquest of Israel and Syria. His, his people uh, are obsequious. They bow down to him. He's always uh, demanding that. His, uh, his coffers are full. His fame is spread abroad. And he comes and makes a demand. He gathers everybody together in the plain of Dura, a wide, flat area where the image will be well observed from a long distance. And he said, this is the image I've made. And when I give the command in the music place, everybody has to bow down and worship the image that I have prepared. Now, I don't think Nebuchadnezzar expected much opposition. He was used to being obeyed. Oh, he loved to make threats. He would say, if you don't do this, I'm going to cut you in pieces and make your house a dunghill. I'm not sure because this never happened to me, but I have a hunch that once I had been cut in pieces, I would not be very concerned about what happened to my house. <laughs> don't know how big of a secondary threat that was. And... Uh, People in that day would be glad to worship multiple gods. The only people in the entire world at that time that were monotheistic, that said there's only one God, were the Jews, God's people. Hear us, for the Lord our God is one God. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, him only shalt thou serve. There's just one God, the God of creation. And... He's kind of surprised, I think, to find that there's a disobedience. We see the demand, and now we see the disobedience. Now, here's what's really interesting to me. There are 10,000 Jews in Babylon right now. You know how many of them don't bow down? Three. Three. You ever think your pastor's a little strange? He just doesn't get it. I mean, everybody else is getting a new modern Bible, and he's still using the old King James. Everybody else figured out before COVID, if you're going to reach anybody, you got to do rock and roll music, some kind of music like they'd hear at the disco or the bar or the nightclub that they would attend. And you're not going to reach people using old-fashioned godly music, but he won't change. Everybody else says, this, this business of going door to door, people find that offensive. That's not going to work anymore. We're going to have to use social media. And he uses social media, but he still sends people out to put tracks indoors and talk to people in the yard and give them the gospel. He's just not going along with the trends. Well, don't you ever feel badly about that. Remember that God's people have always been in the minority, and it is a righteous and redeemed remnant that God uses to bring revival, not 
not a corrupt majority that goes along with the trends. There's only three Jews who stand up. And by the way, they don't march. They don't make some kind of a protest. They don't lift their fists in defiance. They don't carry banners. You know what they do? They just keep standing when everybody else bows down. You see, generally speaking, the powers that be don't mind if you have church. Now, I know there's, I I suspect we're illegal this morning. I don't know. I'm all right with it anyway, whatever it is. But generally speaking, they don't mind if you have a Bible. They don't mind if you pray your prayers. They don't mind if you sing your songs as long as you also bow down to their God. It's okay if you want to come to church and believe the Bible, but you have to acknowledge that it is appropriate for a woman to murder her unborn child. That's what Hillary Clinton said when she ran for president when it comes to abortion. Quote, religious beliefs will have to change. See, the government thinks they can change what you believe about God and about the Bible and about God's plan for His church and for your life. It's all right if you have church, but you must acknowledge that it is equally valid for a man to marry another man and as it is for a man to marry a woman. And you have to say that that is okay and it's appropriate and you can't say that there's anything morally wrong with that. It's okay if you have your gods as long as you bow down to our God. And the Jews just didn't change. Have you noticed, preacher, the antagonism towards those who believe this book? Not just from the ungodly, but from those who have moved on to other translations. I mean, they're upset with us. They call us names. Some of them who went to some of our uh, independent Baptists or kind of affiliated with that kind of colleges will call us names because we won't change Bibles and they make up derogatory terms for us. Well, I got a question. How come I'm wrong now and I was right 25 years ago? I didn't get a new Bible. I didn't do anything different. I just got the same old Bible. And so there is a demand and then there's disobedience. Your preacher is exactly right. The church will go on. Do you know how many believers there are in China now over the phone? I'm told somewhere between 90 and 100 million. Does that sound about right? Do you know how many there were when the Communist Party took over the land of China? Three to four million. So under oppression, under persecution, under people going to jail and people having their worship limited and people gathering in little apartments with mattresses stuffed around the walls to keep the sound of the singing from penetrating to the neighbors. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ has grown and grown and grown and is probably 20 times or more bigger than it was when the Communist Party took over. Hey, you can't stop God with government. There's a demand, there's a disobedience, and then there's a defiance. But note that the defiance is not on the part of Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael. Those are the Hebrew names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the names they were given when they came down to Babylon. It's not on their part, it's on the part of the king. It was personal. The Bible says, then Nebuchadnezzar in rage and fury. It was prideful. He said, you got to worship the image I have set up. 
It was problematic. Because Nebuchadnezzar made it a contest between him and God. Who is that God that will be able to deliver you from the burning, fiery furnace that I have prepared? I can see the sneer on his face. I can see the smug, self-satisfied expression covering his countenance. I can see and hear the pride in his voice. He is the greatest man in his age. He's conquered most of the world. There is no kingdom like his. And he said, you have any gods you want? Nobody is going to keep you from dying in the burning, fiery furnace I have prepared. Who is that God? President Trump had an issue with our governor in Michigan. So have I. (laughs) He called her that woman in Michigan. It was not a term of endearment. Franklin Roosevelt served almost three terms as president of the United States. He's the reason there's now a two-term limit for the presidency. And there were people who would never speak his name. They despised him so much, they'd say, that man in the White House. Who is that God? You see, the belief of the elites is that they have it all. And nothing can stop them from doing what they want to do and accomplishing their agenda. And in response to that defiance on the part of a pagan king, there is a declaration from the three Hebrew children. It is a declaration of faith. They say, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. We don't have to think about it. We don't have to pray about it. We don't have to vote about it. We don't have to discuss it. We don't have to study it. We don't have to get any counsel. We already know the answer. We will not bow down to your image. Hey, you don't have to wonder whether you should keep witnessing to people no matter what the law says. You don't have to wonder whether you should keep reading your Bible no matter what the government may say. You don't have to wonder whether you should keep raising your children to godly principles no matter what the educational elites would like to have you do. You don't have to wonder what you should do about separation from the world. It's all settled in the Word of God. If, if you don't, We're not careful. We don't have to study it out. It's a declaration of faith. And I like what they say. They say, our God whom we serve is a to deliver us. I had the privilege of praying at the first state of the state address of our governor, Gretchen Whitmer, in the state of Michigan. The Speaker of the House is a wonderful Christian young man. His father is a Baptist preacher and a good friend of mine. I've watched the little boy grow up into a man in his early 30s, second most powerful politician in Michigan. He invited me to come and pray for the portion of the big deal that the House of Representatives in Michigan is in charge of. And I sat as close as I am to this brother right here, maybe closer, to our Attorney General, Dana Nessel, and her wife. And I heard our governor say, we are going to have equal rights in hiring for the LGBTQ community. And then she said very clearly and very distinctly, no exceptions. Now, you know why she said that? Civil rights law in Michigan is the Elliot Larson civil rights law. And there have been those who want to amend it to include employment rights for the LGBTQ community, housing rights, other things like that. 
And our Senate and our House are both conservative, and the, the Democrats have the governor's house. And they said, we don't really want to do that, but we will go along with you if you'll write an exception for churches so churches are not forced to violate their beliefs and violate the Bible and hire people that they think it would displease God for them to hire. And Governor Whitmer said, "Uh uh-uh. I don't care what you believe. I don't care what your Bible says. I don't care what you think. You have to bow to the image that I am setting up. There will be no exceptions. That's what they want to do. They, uh, they think that they are in control. And you know what the three were children said? They, they said essentially, look at Nebuchadnezzar, you know a little bit about our God. You know that he answered a question that nobody else could answer. He revealed a dream and a secret of it that nobody else could reveal. But you don't really know our God. No, our God sustained a million two hundred thousand Jewish adults for 40 years across the wilderness and didn't even have any trouble doing it. Our God spoke the worlds into existence. Our God makes the sun stand still. Our God parts the Red Sea so that his people walk across on dry ground and once they're safe to the other side, turns the fan off and the waters come and cover Pharaoh, the most powerful man in his age, and all his chariots. And I say to all of the vain people occupying political offices and all of the delusional members of the media and all of the people in the LGBT community who are increasing and promoting their agenda at an exponential pace and all of those who think that they are large and in charge, you don't know our God. It's a declaration of faith, but it's a declaration of fortitude. I love this. This is some of the most powerful, faith-filled, confident language you'll find in the Bible. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace which thou hast prepared, and he will deliver us, O king. Amen. I like it. And then they say, but if not. Huh? I said this here before. I say it again intentionally. I say it frequently because I believe it's really important to understand this. Faith is not the absence of doubt. I wish I had more faith. I I just worry. You shouldn't worry. Be careful for nothing. Be full of care about not a single thing. The faith is not the absence of doubt. The man came to the Lord Jesus and he said, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Isn't that strange? Faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is obeying God in spite of your doubt. And three evil children said, Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace which thou hast prepared. But you know, if he doesn't, we are still not bowing down above ground, the preacher said, or underground, in public or in private, done with the sanction of government or done against the laws of a disobedient government that does not recognize the right of Almighty God and His people to serve Him. Either way, we will not bow down. I love Hebrews 11. By faith, there's people that wrought righteousness and subdued kingdoms and stopped the mouths of lions and women received their dead back to life again. Hey, man, that's my crowd. I like it. But you know what it says right after that? It says, and others. 
Others, others were sawn asunder. Others wandered about naked and destitute in goatskins and sheepskins of whom the world was not worthy. And then it says these all died in faith. And so the Hebrew children make a declaration, a response to the defiance and the demand of King Nebuchadnezzar. And they say our God is able to deliver us. But if he doesn't, we are still not bowing down. I love the spirit of the Heritage Baptist Church. You're not angry. You're not upset. You're not looking for a fight. You're just loving God and have a happy spirit and going to serve God no matter what. I believe God's going to give us a measure of freedom for a long time in the United States of America. I believe God may be setting things up to bring revival. I believe some of the terrible things happening in our society could be used to God to make us realize our need in a way that we would not recognize in a time of peace and a time of prosperity. I think some of the bad things on the horizon could be good things for the child of God. But either way, our God is going to take care of us. Get fat or stay skinny. Be smooth or be wrinkled, be free or be in prison. You know, the Apostle Paul, when he was uh, often in trouble with governmental authorities and he didn't organize an army against him and he didn't get his AR-15 and go down to the Capitol building and stage a protest and he didn't try to shoot anybody. You know what he did? They put him in jail. He went to jail and he just started winning people of Christ in jail. And the core of the church at Rome was made up of the Praetorian Guard that were chained to him eight hours a day in three different shifts. And he just made that his primary soul winning focus. And when he said, the saints at Rome salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. He was talking about his jailhouse converts. My venue may change, but I'll always have victory. The place of service may be different, but the purpose of my service is the same. And the power for my service is always coming not from down here, but from up there. They said, we have faith. We're going to stand either way. So what happens? Well, Nebuchadnezzar responds like most angry people irrationally. People who act in anger very seldom act reasonably or logically and almost never act spiritually. There is a righteous anger. There's an anger at sin. But most of the time it's irrational and ungodly in flesh. So Nebuchadnezzar says, you make that furnace seven times hotter than it already was. That's what they do. Now, what do you think that does to the three Hebrew children? So it was already hot enough to burn them up. Now it's seven times hotter. Seems to me just burn you up faster. If you're going to shoot me in the head seven times, I don't think the last six bullets will bother me too much. <laughs> Not very rational, but that's what it does. 
He commanded the most the mighty men, most mighty men, verse 20, in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, cast them into the fiery furnace. These two men were bound in their coats, their hosen, their hats, their garments. They were cast in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent of the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Now, there you go. The Bible doesn't stop there. Then, verse 24, Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? He answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the fire, and they have no hurt. I want you to notice the deliverance that God provided for His children. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us. The first thing that you find when you read the story is that God gave them freedom. We cast three men bound into the fiery furnace. I see four men, and they're loose, and they're walking around. Now, their hat didn't burn, and their hose didn't burn, and their cloak didn't burn, and their their robes did not burn, and their hair did not burn, and their flesh did not burn. The only thing that burned on them was their bonds. Can I tell you that often what the world does to restrict the people of God winds up just freeing us up to give a message to more people. You cannot be enslaved by the world. You cannot be ensnared by this devil unless you let him have a foothold, a place in your life. You cannot find your anybody in the world who can keep you from the will of God. They found freedom. And they found fellowship. I see four men walking. First part of the deliverance, freedom. Second part, fellowship. And the form of the fourth is like unto the Son of God. You see, it doesn't matter how hot the fire is, Jesus is always there. It doesn't matter how restrictive the regulations are. Jesus never leaves us. It doesn't matter how heavy the burden. It doesn't matter how fierce the conflict. It doesn't matter how evil our opponents. It does not matter how vile those who oppose us are. Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. They tell me that in the original language, the Greek language uh, behind our Bible, that there, there's more negatives than I'll never, no, never, not ever. I don't know about that, but I know what Jesus said, he said, I'll always be there with you. If you're a child of God in the darkest day, you have the light of the world. If you're a child of God, when you have the heaviest burden, you can cast your burden on him and he will sustain you. If you're a child of God, if everybody else leaves you and nobody stands with you and you're all by yourself, you're never alone because Jesus will not leave you and will not forsake you. There is a friend that's closer than a brother. Bob Jones Sr. told about a couple that waited many years to have a child. And finally, a baby was going to come into their life, and they got so excited, made the nursery, and got everything ready. In those days, the husbands did not go into the delivery room with the wives because women in the old-fashioned times knew how to breathe by themselves. just wasn't done. It was a long and painful delivery. 
A mother sensed something wasn't right. As she held the baby in her arms, she looked at the doctor and she said, Doctor, am I going to die? Yes. Yes, I'm afraid you are. She held the baby more tightly. Tears trickled down her cheek and she said, Oh, doctor, we wanted this baby so badly. We prayed for it so long. We've been so excited preparing for it. Doctor, I wouldn't mind dying if only I could take the little baby with me. And the doctor said, I'm sorry. The gate of death is so narrow, you can't even take the baby with you. You have to go through it all by yourself. Well, Bob Jones Sr. said, don't tell her that, doctor. It's true. She can't take the baby through the gate of death, but she doesn't have to go through it alone. There is one who will go with her. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. There is somebody who is with the child of God every moment of every day, and his name is Jesus. By the way, He'd like to be your God. You don't know if you died right now whether or not you'd go to heaven. Did you know God loves you so much he wants to spend forever with you? Did you know that we're all sinners and the penalty of our sin is death and hell? But God sent Jesus, his only begotten son, always been God, became man in Bethlehem's manger, to be born of a virgin, to live perfectly for 33 years, and then to go to the cross and bleed and die. And the Bible says Christ died for us. The Bible says Christ died for our sin. That's why the Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Saved from dying and going to hell. Saved from the penalty of your sins. Saved from eternal damnation. Saved to everlasting life. Saved to eternity in heaven. By believing in Jesus. If you know Jesus is your Savior, you can say, that God is our God. If you don't, you can trust Him today, and you'll be able to say, that God is our God freedom, the first part of their deliverance, fellowship, the second part, and then favor. We read down in verse 28 that they were promoted. Uh, Their disobedience did not result in their dismissal, but their deliverance uh, resulted in their elevation and their position. Uh, And the king found the answer to the question, who is that God that is able to deliver you out of the burning fiery furnace that I have prepared? Well, I'll tell you, they said that God is our God. Who is that God that is going to keep an independent fundamental Baptist church safe and secure during a time of attack? Well, I'll tell you who he is. Say it with me. That God is our God. Who is that God that is going to help us rear our children to live right and obey the Bible in an increasingly secular and even pagan society? I know the answer. You say it with me. That God is our God. Who is that God that's going to provide for his church? Who is that God that's going to empower his church? Who is that God that's going to prosper his church in times of pandemic and riots and all kinds of opposition? I think we know the answer. That God is our God. You say, well, Brother Willette, you live in Michigan. It's bad there, but it's worse here. Why, every time I watch the news, I just get all upset. Well, turn it off. I've read some headlines on my phone. I haven't watched a news program since the election. Don't intend to watch one for quite a while. 
I found something a little more encouraging. I found something a little more enduring. I found something that gives me exhortation as well as motivation and comfort. I found something that is eternal. I have it in my hand. It's the Word of God. That God. That God that uh, got Peter and James out of jail and had him preach in the same spot the next day. That God is our God. That God that took the sling of a shepherd boy and guided it so that the stone hit the giant in the only unprotected place in his whole body and gave a victory to the people of God. That God is our God. That God that took 300 uneducated, unarmed, untrained Jews and destroyed 135,000 Midianites. Say it with me. That God is our God. That God that killed 185,000 Syrians while they slept. The Bible says they woke up in the morning they were all dead. I hate it when you wake up dead. <laughs> oh, that God is our God. John G. Patton went to the New Hebrides Islands in, I think, November of 1858. Everybody in the New Hebrides Islands was a cannibal. Other missionaries had gone. They all failed. And an older man named Dixon said to Patton, don't go there, son. Your body will be eaten by cannibals. And meaning no disrespect, John G. Patton said, Mr. Dixon, you're an older man. Your body will soon be eaten by worms. It matters not to me whether my body is eaten by cannibals or by worms. I'll have an equally glorious body in the resurrection. He went. And they're all cannibals and they were fierce. He got there in February of 1859. Father, there's wife had a child born February 12th. Nineteen days later, she died. Seventeen days later, the baby died. John G. Patton had to sleep on the graves of his son and daughter to keep the cannibals from eating them. He was under constant attack. You can get his book. I found it on the Internet. Mark Rasmussen gave me a copy of it some years ago. One night, a cannibal chief with his warriors had surrounded Patton's hut, and Patton was sure it was it. It was the end for him. He prayed. They never attacked. About a year later, that chief had gotten saved, and Patton was talking to him. He said, you remember that night you and your men surrounded my hut? He said, yes. He said, why didn't you come in and attack me? He said, we had every intention of doing so, but we could not. He said, there are a hundred soldiers with swords in their hand around your hut. (laughs) Ah, John G. Patton didn't see them, but I think the chief did. The Bible says, the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him, and delivereth them. And John G. Patton lived to see the entire island of Aniwa converted to the Lord Jesus Christ. He lived to see almost everybody in the New Hebrides Island become a child of God. Charles Darwin, the, the, uh, the, the one who advanced the false theory of evolution in his journey on the Beagle, went to the New Hebrides Islands and he wrote this. He said, I do not believe in God. It is be-. He said, but if I did believe in God, it would be because of what I've seen in the New Hebrides Islands and the work of John G. Patton. You see, when John Patton went there. Everybody was a cannibal. He preached in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And after a lifetime of ministry, there were no cannibals and only Christians. And I'd like to remind you that God is our God. Don't worry. Don't be timid. Don't be fearful. Don't hold back in your service and ministry. Don't go to sleep wondering what's going to happen. Don't let the things that happen in Sacramento or Washington or any place else get you all discouraged. You see, they don't know our God. 
Who is that God, the sovereign scoffed in anger, scorn, and rage? That can remove you from the fire, your pain and grief assuage, your pain and hurt assuage. Who is that God that can deliver three unbowing men, release their bonds, protect from burning, set them free again? Your God reveals my dreams and makes you strong and wise, it's true. But I'm a king and there are things I know your God can't do. My furnace burns at seven times its necessary heat. No God can save you from its flame or my decree defeat. Who is that God? You ask, O king, a sneer upon your face. Your anger poured on all who your command do not embrace. Who is that God? You ask, your face contorted by your age. Why, I'm the greatest man on earth, the ruler of my age. I've conquered kingdoms, built great cities, ruled my world, and now you all must worship as I bid you. To my image bow. Who is, what God exceeds my might and power? Name him, if you will. When it's over, you'll be dead. And I'll be sovereign still. The answer from God's children came without a second thought. No agonizing worries of the flames so fierce and hot. No pleading, no negotiating, no remorse or tear. The answer to your question is our God we love and fear. Our God is able, powerful, and sovereign over all. He'll help us. He'll deliver us as on his name we call. Your furnace so consuming and your image oh so high are nothing to the king of kings who hears our every cry. That God is our God, and you'll see just what our God can do. He'll help us. He'll deliver us. He'll always see us through. That God is our God, and he is the only God, you see. He promises his children perfect peace and victory. So in the fire, three Hebrew children clothed and bound were thrown. The power of the potentate would soon to all be known. The king in smug self-confidence would sit and watch them burn. Then all the earth to him would then in fear and reverence turn flame so hot the keepers died while casting in the three yet not a hair was singed they were as safe as they could be their clothing unaffected no alarm and no despond the only thing that burned on those three children was their bond but wait the king's advisor have a startling report they strain to see with whom those unbound men do now consort there are four men the king declares who in the furnace trod and that fourth man he looks exactly like the Son of God. Their bodies were protected, neither thread nor hair was singed. They never ran. They showed no fear. They never even twinged. But better than deliverance from fury, heat, and flame, the fact that God who rescued them within their presence came. So when the critics mock our faith and freedoms try to take, remember they're repeating that vain potentate's mistake. Another petty tyrant with another harsh decree. Another prideful ruler saying we must bend the knee. Another unbeliever thinking they are in control. Another who would bind our bodies and command our soul. Another one who dares to challenge our great deity. Another who demands that subject to them we must be. It's just another chance for God's protection to be shown. Another opportunity to make his power known. Another illustration of deliverance and love bestowed upon his children by our gracious God above. That God is our God. He created and controls the world and laughs when petty challenges by men at him are hurled. He sits up in the heaven doing all he does desire and comes to help his children and walk with us through the fire. So let the heathen thunder, let them threaten to destroy, and let them every power in this world try to employ. 
But hold this truth fast in your heart as you walk on earth, saw that God who can deliver us has always been our God. Would you say it with me again? That God is our God. So when they say we're going to tax you to death, that's all right. Uh, you don't have to worry about how you can eat because there's a God in heaven said he provides you. And that God is our God. And when they say you can't do this and you can't do that, it's all right. You can still get the gospel out and you can still go forward as a church because there's something they don't know anything about. There is a power that makes all of their authority look like nothing by comparison. It is the God of the universe and say it, that God is our God. 